I'm Steve Serbis, and this is the Art of Fitness. Hey everybody, welcome to the Art of Fitness. I'm Steve Serbis, and today I'll be talking with Kevin Ogar. Kevin is a 31-year-old gym owner, CrossFit seminar staff trainer, and co-founder of the Reveille Project. Kevin spent four years playing rugby at the University of Missouri-Columbia, spent two years playing rugby for the Glendale Raptors, and is a four-time CrossFit regional competitor. In 2014, people were talking about Kevin Ogar. He had been working for years, gripping his first barbell when he was 11 years old. Now he was headed for the CrossFit Games. People expected to see good things from him. Strong, great conditioning, the mindset of a champion. In preparation for the CrossFit Games, Kevin decided to compete at a smaller event in California. It was a three-day event, and Kevin was at the top of the leaderboard, and that's when his life changed. Doing a routine load on a routine lift, something went wrong. An accident occurred. That accident not only severed Kevin's spine, but it also took away the use of his legs. Kevin is now a USA Disabled Powerlifting Team member, and is a 2020 Paralympic hopeful. I'm going to forgo the question of the day for this episode and jump right into my conversation with none other than Kevin Ogar. Kevin, you there? I am here. How's it going, Steve? It's going well. I'm so happy that you came on the show. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for doing this. We're, We're on separate sides of the United States, so this is pretty early for you. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm I'm usually up every morning at like five anyway, so not too yeah, bad. Yeah, you're you're the you're currently uh, an owner and coach of a gym. What's what's that gym? Uh, CrossFit Watchtower. We're in uh, Inglewood, Colorado. And why what Watchtower? How did how did you come up with that name? Uh, I'm a giant comic book nerd, so uh, and I'm a DC guy, not a Marvel guy. And the Watchtower in DC is the home base for the Justice League. So like all the, all the superheroes in the Justice League universe um, train and live at the Watchtower. Dude, let me tell you something. What you don't know is that you're actually talking to Batman. And my son, <laughs> my son um, has progressed from uh, um, Robin, and now he's Nightwing. That's so, awesome. So for his eighth birthday, um, we had the opportunity to you know wear our uniforms and uh, you know and and still keep our secret identities however what happened at his birthday was something that was inconceivable it turns out that Raza Ghul and three of his ninjas invaded the party and once we apprehended them they informed us that both Bane and the Joker had set bombs in town we went to the local police department and they confirmed to us and the rest of the party that this was in fact true and we had to go and and disarm the bombs in town so uh 
it was uh, one hell of a day for Batman and Nightwing. That sounds amazing. I'm, I'm 31 years old, and I would still love to go do that. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe if I can convince him to do it again, we'll invite you out to his party this year. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Kevin, you're a rabid, you're an avid DC fan. Who's your favorite superhero? Um, yes, favorite superhero, definitely Superman. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, uh, I think I have pictures from like, I guess I was three, four, five years old wearing Superman costumes. I would run around in a cape. Um, entire life, just a giant Superman fan. So what about Superman made you fall in love with him when you were a kid? Oh, I don't know. He's, uh, he's super strong. Uh, he has, like the, obviously, the coolest powers. He's the most powerful of the Justice League. Uh, um, I think as I got older, what, what, attract, what kept me attracted to Superman was his, uh, like his moral code. Like, even though he had all this power and, like, could do literally whatever he wanted and there's not a single person that could stop him, um, he still, like, held to his morals and did the right thing all the time. And is that something you live by, Kevin? Uh, yeah, I, I tried to do the best of my ability. Because you're a strong guy yourself. What are you benching these days, Pat? Uh, non-competition, I'm around 420, 425, and then, um, my best in competition is, f well, right around 400. Without leg drive. Yeah, I'm basically get strapped to a bench and, and told to press. All right, man, I want to go, and I, I know you've talked about this millions of times, um, mm -hmm. but I just want to share with you that, um, you know, I consider that day that that accident happened, I almost think of it as the shot that was heard around the world, right? <laughs> yeah, it pretty I, much was. I, I remember where I was when I heard about it. I remember huddling around uh, a computer and, and watching that short clip of that video over and over and over and again. I remember sitting around with people and just, you know, kind of theorizing about what the hell could have possibly went wrong. And I, mm -hmm. I know you've talked about this a lot, but I want to hear it from you because this is something that I've always wanted to talk to you about ever since that day that it happened is uh, what the hell happened, dude? Yeah, it's, I get that question um, probably more than any other. It's uh, And what I've been saying uh, happened even before we had the HD video is actually now what we're seeing in the HD video. Um, I went to go snatch. It was not a heavy snatch for me. In fact, I was um, in the back warming up with 10 pounds more than what I got injured with. Right. right. Um, I mean, you, you, your, your record at the time, I mean, you were carrying a 290-pound one-rep max, right? Uh, probably a little heavier than that. I actually uh, probably closer to 300, right around 300. And this, was, over. and this load was what? This was around 240? 235. 235. So this was a, a easy weight for you. Yeah, I mean, I just hit 245 in the back for an easy triple. Um, I come out not even thinking about it, and uh, one of my coaches was there, and he's like, "Hey, no one's hit over 230, so you know, um, let's let's drop your let's drop your first attempt down to like 235 just to make it an easy hit. And if we have to go up from there, we'll go up from there. But if not, we could save some energy for the next part." Right. Hang on. I'm, I just want to interrupt you real quick because uh, usually it, for my listeners who aren't familiar with this, when, when you come out and say you have three lifts to, mm -hmm. um, to hit your best lift, you're going to start with what's called an opener. And your opener, it, an opener is traditionally something that is, is something that you can absolutely handle and stand up just to get on the board, correct? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, and so th- this was a, a three rep max um, hang hang squat uh, snatch. All right. Um, and so I just opened it 235. Nothing I couldn't handle or that was hard for me is actually easier than I was planning um, and easier than I'd hit previously. Um, went to snatch it, uh, caught it in the bottom, uh, felt weird, felt like I was sitting back too far. And if I, and, and oddly enough, I felt like if I was going to stand up, it was going to hurt my elbow. And I was like, well, it's just 235. I'm just going to drop it, uh, behind me real quick, reset and snatch it. Cause plenty of time, not hard. Uh, problem was, is there, there was a slight slant to the platform. And if you go back and watch the videos, you can see people's barbells rolling back into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the slant. <clears throat> right. And so when I went to go jump out of the way, uh, on the HD video, you can see my left foot gets stuck. Right. And so my right foot moves forward, my left foot stays where it's at, and <clears throat> the barbell actually comes down and hits my left shoulder. A lot of people think that in the video they can see it hit my back on the way down, but it really doesn't. It actually hits my left shoulder. Okay. Uh, from there, it bounces off of me um, and pushes me down to the ground, so I'm now I'm sitting on the ground. The barbell ricochets off uh, a stack of forty or two stacks of forty fives that are sitting behind me, right. um, and it looked like two uh, two super balls getting thrown together. Uh, hits me straight in the back, uh, right at T eleven T twelve, um, and just tears tears my spine in half. Uh, hit me so perfectly that a, a fraction of an inch in any other direction, I either would have been instantly dead or I would have gotten up and been fine. Jesus, so it was the ricochet. Yeah, the ricochet, uh, when it came back, since my hips were pinned, the only thing that could move was my upper body. So it, just, it literally just kind of tore me in half. Oh, my God. So, so it hits you, right? And mm-hmm. did, you, did, you know, did you know immediately that something was wrong? Oh, immediately. Uh, the second it happened, it was like every single nerve in my body had, got, had been set on fire, like blazing, blazing fire. It was incredibly painful. So it was um, hot. It was, a, it was a fiery, hot yeah it just nerve pain like nerve pain everywhere like my body started freaking out it was it was the most painful experience of my life and when did that subside or or did it ever um well i was conscious a lot of people were like well he passed out he doesn't know what happened i was actually conscious through the whole thing i remember every second of it from how long it took them to get to me how long it took to get to the hospital in the ambulance um arguing arguing with the uh the people operating the mri machine um, about, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't going to go in there. I, I'm claustrophobic. And they're like, we're going to put you in an MRI machine. I'm like, you're going to have to put me under right. because I, I'm going to freak out if you put me in there. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't give me painkillers because they didn't know what was going to do to me. So, um, like it was excruciating up until the point where they actually ended up having to put me out to get me into the MRI machine. So how, so it took the paramedics like 15 minutes to get to you. Mm-hmm. And then the trip to the hospital was how long? Uh, it felt like forever, but it was probably only like 15, 20 minutes. All right, so we're at like, you know, 30, 45 minutes, and then all the arguing before it gets you into the machine, and you're still you're still experiencing this sensation of being on fire. Yes. Jesus Christ, man. And then, so they put you under, mm-hmm. and um, they take an MRI, and that's when they discover that you had thoracic, what numbers? Uh, I had... Severed my spinal column between T11 and T12. All right. And then you wake up. Yeah. After they put me under for that, the next thing I remember is the doctor coming in to tell me that I'm paralyzed. Okay. So, and I knew it too. Like he didn't even get it out of his mouth. He walked in and I was like, I'm paralyzed. And he goes, yeah. 
And I was like, I knew it. Yeah. So what goes through your mind when you hear those words? What? I mean, I can't even comprehend <clears throat> it. You know? Oh, I, I absolutely lost it. Like, I, you know, like tears, crying, like yelling, uh, freaking out, you know, more, more fear for what it meant for my family and friends than it for myself, yeah. um, I guess, which is odd. But, uh, yeah, I just didn't know, know where my life was going to take me after that, considering that I had been a lifelong athlete, and that's kind of my thing, and um, been around barbell sports since I was 12. So, um, but generally more concerned with what it meant for uh, my fiance, for my parents, for my siblings, for uh, for those around me. So, that's that's kind of what I where my uh, my mind was at at that point in time. Yeah, man. So, you know, here you are having this tough conversation, and your mind immediately goes to the many hard conversations that were to come. And what was the hardest conversation after that day? Uh. I don't know. After that, they kind of kept me pretty drugged up. So I, um, I know I got on the phone and started calling people. I remember that. I remember a conversation with uh, uh, my buddy Nate Baycott, um, who's also a CrossFitter and one, one of my, well, actually my original training partner in CrossFit. Like we, we kind of started CrossFit together. I remember a conversation with him, uh, just calling different people and uh, more for like I called them more for me than I think I called at the time. I was like, I'm gonna call them and let them know what's going on, so they're not worried about me. But I think it was more for me to kind of let some some stuff out than it, than it was for them. So I don't, I don't know, like, uh, all those conversations are pretty hard. I think, um, the next, the, I guess, yeah, the hardest one would be, uh, right before my first surgery, my doctor came in and told me to say goodbye to everyone. Cause I, I probably wasn't going to come back from the surgery. And so how that old was, were you when this was happening? Uh, I was 28, 28 years old. So <laughs> man, so you're, you're being told by your doctor who's putting you under to to do what? What was he what was he going to fix? Uh he was going in to realign my spine. So they had to do a thoracotomy, which means they had to go through um like my side through my rib cage. Uh basically pull out uh break it actually broke uh rather than broke, but dislocated a bunch of my ribs, pull out a bunch of my organs, deflate my lung, and then realign my spine from the back so they didn't make things worse and worse and kill me from shock. Um, and then put everything back in and wait to see if I die. <laughs> All right. All right. So you know you're going into this this um, extremely intricate, touchy surgery. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you're being told to say goodbye to people just in case. Yep. Um, obviously, you have, a, you have a tenacity to you. But, um, you know, what's your knee-jerk response when, when a doctor says that to you? Uh, I think originally um, it was pretty hard, like having to talk to people and actually say goodbye and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, pretty big break breakdown there. But um, I know like right before my surgery, I was I was making jokes um, about like if I survive this, I guess I'm going to call my affiliate Brokeback Mountain or Brokeback <laughs> CrossFit. Uh, you know, just making stupid, stupid jokes, I think, to kind of ease it for everyone and kind of. Um, I guess put myself in a uh, more positive state of mind before going into the surgery that I'm um, supposed to kill me. So, and then it didn't, and then you woke up. Yeah, uh, 18. I, I looked it up after my surgery because I didn't want to know beforehand. But uh, thoracotomies have a a 18 percent survival rate on average. You're kidding me. Uh, yeah. So uh, just from the loss of blood and 
everything has to go through and infection post-surgery and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I woke up though. So. Wow. All right. So you woke up and then, and then rehab starts right away. Uh, no, I had, I think it was, again, they had me on some really, really fantastic drugs. So I think it was <laughs> 12 hours, 18 hours later, I had my second surgery to put, um, uh, to fuse my spine so it wouldn't knock itself out of place again. So I have uh, four plates, eight screws, and two rods uh, spanning from T10 down to L1. All right. And so how many surgeries have you had? Just those two. Those are the only two surgeries I've ever had in my entire life. All right, so those are done. And then mm-hmm. and then the recovery process starts. Yep, uh, laid in a hospital bed for eight days. Um, about a week into it, I kind of started pushing to get myself a wheelchair so I could sit up and start doing things and push myself around and um, just get out of bed generally. Um, uh, ironically enough, I'm just not very good at sitting around. <laughs> uh, so trying to learn how to do some stuff before I got to Craig was, was pretty important to me. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm looking at your Instagram and I'm, I'm watching how active you are. And, um, I'm sure that these accidents happen to people who don't end up within a few years, um, setting bench press PRs and climbing ropes, uh, you know, with their wheelchair and doing pull-ups and, doing conditioning and so when was the moment where you woke up and said you know what fuck this i'm i'm not going to let this define me uh again it may be the drugs and i just don't remember any of these conversations but i don't i don't remember a time where that wasn't the case like i don't don't really think i ever gave myself another option um i knew immediately that i was going to go back to crossfit i knew immediately i was going to get back to a barbell um you know, I think part of it is is that, you know, I, I had so many people around me and, and so supportive of me and, and uh, like, pushing me to get better and, and, and just being there for me that that, that um, uh, letting them down or letting them waste their time on me wasn't, wasn't going to be something I was going to let happen. So um, I, don't, I don't specifically remember a time where, where getting back to what I was doing beforehand wasn't going to be the case for me. And... You're talking about CrossFit. You're talking about the community and the the support that um, that just. I mean, it was just unprecedented, really. You know. Oh, it was uh, insane. Um, did the obligation of not letting them down help you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When you wake up and you have people from around the world sending, like, literally hundreds of thousands of messages of support, um, like right when you wake up from surgery and can start remembering things and. When you have that, like you, you, I mean, I felt a definite obligation to, to push myself um, and, and it, and it, you know, probably saved my life, probably kept me from going to a really dark place. Um, as I mean, as I've seen with uh, uh, other people I've worked with out of Craig, I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy road to go down and I just never let it be an option. I had so many people pushing, pushing me to get better and get back to what I was doing that, um, yeah, I, it probably saved my life. That's amazing. You know, you were just talking about that that dark path that you've seen some people go through in, uh, in rehab. But, you know, I'm imagining you just being a, a, a goddamn bulldozer in, <laughs> in, 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 in rehab, you know. And I can't imagine anybody who's in that room with you not being 
affected by that and pushing a little harder on the day where Kevin Ogar is in there as well. Um, have you heard any stories or have you heard any feedback from people that, uh, that where that may be the case? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I try to go back to Craig as often as I can to, uh, I mean, my gym's five minutes from, from Craig hospital where I did my rehab. And so I try to go back there as, as often as I, my time allows to kind of talk to new patients and chat with new patients and, you know, uh, you know, force them out of the hospital, bring them to the gym, make them do something. Um, you know, I, I haven't had, I mean, I, I, the, 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 the staff at Craig, you know, always seems to allow me in the building. So I guess I'm doing something good for them, but, uh, hmm. you know, people did it for me and I'm going to do it for others. And I hope the people I did it for do it for the next generation of people who need it. So it's, it's kind of an ongoing cycle. It's pretty, it's actually a pretty neat and close knit community in this, uh, this wheelchair world, you know, I had people reach out to me and mentor me. And so I'm, I'm doing the same for others. It's amazing, man. This might sound like an absurd question, but you know, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm watching what you're doing and I'm just like, you know, how, how, how has this really changed your life? I mean, you're still training every day. Mm -hmm. You're still setting PRs. Mm -hmm. You're still very active. I think that, you know, I just saw that you went on, what, like a 30-mile bike ride with a hand bike the first time on it. Um, you know, you're living this active lifestyle. And I'm wondering, is there anything, is there that much of a difference <laughs> from uh, what you're... I guess the main difference is just parking. I get great parking now. <laughs> so that's, that's about it. I mean, if I'm being honest and it sounds kind of cliche and I know a lot of people, um, were probably like, Oh, he's, he's full of shit. But, um, it's, it's, I, my life may be better now than it was before. Like I, um, I have a closer relationship with, you know, family and friends than I, than I did beforehand. I, you know, uh, it's brought a lot of people into my life that I really needed. And, and the people who weren't meant to be in my life are no longer there from this accident. Um, you know, this, my accident being so public has afforded me a lot of opportunities I probably wouldn't have had um, prior to this injury and a lot of opportunities to help others. Like, uh, you know, my work with, with, with nonprofits and my work in the gym and my ability to like actually help people, like understand what people need adapt, like adaptive athletes need inside of a gym and make sure they're, they're taken care of and kind of push this whole, adaptive movement a little bit like i wouldn't have been able to do this before my accident and i can now so it um you know oddly enough life may be better for my wheelchair than it was you know running around fuck man <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm gonna leave it at that i mean you know i i just keep on hearing superman superman every time you say something <laughs> you know um thanks for that kevin are you ready for this questionnaire? <laughs> oh, I, I think I am. <laughs> All right. I think I am. All right. I mean, you know, after after that last comment, um, everything that I'm going to ask you just seems to fall short of the um, inspiration that you are, my friend. Oh, shucks. Uh, so here we go. Section one, the physical. How many meals do you consume in a day, Kevin? Uh, four. For. And in percentages of fat, protein, carbohydrate, what's your macronutrient breakdown per meal, or does it change with time of day? Uh, it changes with time of day. So early morning is uh, mostly like meat, uh, veggies, and fats, very very low carb, like under 40 grams. 
Um, and then second meal is kind of like my intra and post-workout shakes. So just like sugar and protein. Uh, meal three is what I call my post-post meal. And that's mostly just super lean protein and um, a lot of carbs, anywhere between like 130 to 150 grams. And then final meal of the day is just um, dinner, which is protein, veggies, and more fats. And how much time do you take between eating and training? Uh, I normally don't eat my first meal until like 11, 11.30, and then I train at like 1.30, so a couple hours. Okay. And how often do you train in a day? Uh, just once, one training session, middle of the day, get it in, get it done, uh, get back to work. And what does a typical training session, that one session for you, look like? Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm doing uh, programming from Jesse Burdick for um, uh, bench press uh, to try to qualify for the Paralympics. And then Tuesday, Thursday, uh, I generally do uh, more CrossFit-esque stuff or CrossFit in and of itself, maybe the workout of the day on the gym. And do you program for yourself for, for your um, conditioning, for your CrossFit-y stuff? Uh, I do, or we'll get, we'll get a group of people together and just throw something together. That's one of my favorite things about CrossFit is that you can just get together with a group of friends, throw together a workout, and, and crush it. So we'll do that a lot. So do you have, or is there something out there that you could discuss? Do, is there a series or um, uh, a sheet you know, of, of scales for movements for your conditioning? Like, say you get a bunch of people together and you are doing Fran, you know? Yeah. H- how, do you, how do you come up with, with, your, with your scales? Uh, if, it's, if it's something new, I kind of look at the purpose of the workout and what each movement is meant to do within a regular CrossFit workout. You know, so like Fran's a lower body push and upper body pull. They're supposed to be kind of... Uh, counter movement so you can keep the intensity super high on it it's supposed to be short and fast mm-hmm. um i don't have a lower body push so we just kind of switch to an upper body push and a, a, a upper body pull mm-hmm. um generally though uh there's a website called wheelwad.com it's run by chris stoutenberg and stephanie stephanie hammerman mm-hmm. um and they they put a lot of scales they have a they basically have all the named workouts adapted for for wheelchair and standing and um, and then they have different videos on how to adapt this or how they adapted that. But I try to switch up how I um, adapt the movements as much as possible to create a pretty big variance. Great. Section two, mm-hmm. the mental. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your state of mind while training? Uh, happy. <laughs> kind, of, kind of my uh, stress relief. And if you could liken your mental state in competition you're training for the Paralympics right now. Mm-hmm. If you could liken your mental state to um, a type of organic or inorganic substance in competition, what would that be and why? Uh, I did think about this one. I think, I think uh, a laser because I, I, I stay really, really focused, but I still think I'm fun to be around, you know? Yeah. Kind of like, like one of those laser pointers. It's a foc- it focused beam of light, but it's really fun to play with. <laughs> it's a great one. Imagine this scenario. You're holding a baby in your right arm and a cooler holding a vital organ to be delivered to a loved one in need in your left. Mm. You come to a canyon. Mm -hmm. The only way across is via zip line, which requires one of your arms to hold on with. What do you put down and what do you take with you? The baby or the vital organ? Um, This is a really tough one. 
but just me being me, I, I would not put down either of them. There's, I think I would be able to figure out a way to carry both and still have a free arm. Um, you know, kicking around ideas of creating some kind of harness for the baby with a shirt or a pair of pants or something like that, or, you know, hooking the cooler with the organ around my arm and carrying the baby in that same arm. I, I would eventually figure out a way to get both across. The, the real question is once I get across, how am I going to get my wheelchair across? <laughs> right. Again, Superman. Uh, <laughs> A news broadcast just reports that the Earth is going to be struck by an asteroid the size of our moon. Officials have known about this for some time. But the asteroid is predicted to hit within 24 hours. It'll mean a certain end for our planet. There's no way around it. How will you spend your last 24 hours? Last 24 hours in that scenario? Uh, no, no question about it. Uh, my family, my friends, and a bottle of really good whiskey. What's your favorite whiskey? Uh, Angel's Envy is, at this point in time, my, my all-time favorite. That's I got a- introduced to it in New York by a good friend uh, named, named Brad Finn, and um, it's been my favorite ever since. That was gifted to me by a friend of mine as well. Sw- beautiful, beautiful. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah, man. Um, this is a two-part question. Okay. When's it essential to lie, and when is it deplorable to tell the truth? Oh man, um, I'm a horrible liar. Like I, I just can't lie about things. Like I'll be like, "Oh man, this happened," and then ten seconds later, like, oh, "I'm sorry, I, I was lying. That's, that's <laughs> not true." Um, but I think the only time I think I could actually get away with lying or not telling the truth, or you know, get away with lying or think uh, justify as if it was going to save someone's life. Yeah. Or uh, same thing on like, <clears throat> it'd be pretty deplorable to tell the truth. The truth if it was going to cost someone their life who didn't deserve to die who in history real or fictional would you describe as resilient and why that person uh it's gonna sound funny keanu reeves tell me about this i i i know the story but i I want i want to hear it from you um i don't know uh so i do know actually uh just like hearing about his life and his 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 story and all the bad shit that happened to him his entire life. Um, you know, loss of parents, loss of a child, loss of, you know, um, his, his wife who got divorced because of the loss of child and she died a week later and then his sister's diagnosed with cancer and, uh, all this bad stuff. And, you know, he could be a jackass about it. Um, he, he could be a multi-billionaire, but instead he chooses to take the money he gets for movies and give it, give it to like the computer guys or the stunt people and donate his entire paycheck from one of the matrix movies to cancer research and lives in a modest house and a modest car and you know rides a subway but when he rides a subway still gets up for you know elderly women and and and, and everyone else. i don't know like you have enough bad shit happened to you in your life and you're still thinking about others first and and just being nice i think that's incredibly resilient we're moving on to section three. The emotions. Oh man. Yeah, buddy. What is, <clears throat> your, what is your idea of perfect happiness? Uh, perfect happiness, I think, would 
would me would be me having a facility where I could help as many people as possible um, and not have to worry about the financial side of stuff. I'm not a very not very big on the business side of things. I'm more on the side of coaching stuff. So just a facility that was mine, I could coach people, you know, have my family and friends around me and just, you know, hang out with a barbell in my hand all day. What is the opposite of fear, Kevin? Uh, opposite of fear to me, I think, would be trust. You know, not not always fearing that someone's going to do something bad for you and trusting that people are going to do the right thing. Was that a leap of faith for you to to trust the people that were piecing you back together, to trust the people around you? Um, at that point, I didn't have a choice. It was either die or take a small chance to not die. So um, I was I was fortunate enough to have um, probably uh, what I was told is the second best spinal surgeon in the in the in the U.S. Um, to perform my first operation. So not, not hard to trust one of the best people at their job. Finish this sentence for me. Love is? Uh, I think love is wanting wanting something better for someone than you want for yourself or wanting something more for someone than you want yourself. Um, like putting that person before yourself. What recurring trait do you notice about yourself that makes you angry? Uh, my anger management, oddly enough. I, I have a, a little bit of a temper um, that I'm not too fond of. When does that bubble up? Uh, when I get frustrated. I never really get angry with people. I generally get frustrated or angry with myself. And so I, 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 uh, I call them little mini tantrums where I just get angry and uh, yell things. Yeah. I think, I think you and I um, are very <laughs> similar. <laughs> what, uh, when do you experience sadness, Kevin? Uh, you know, I was thinking about, the, thinking about this question and... Uh, I think the only time I've really experienced sadness, specifically after injury, is, is when I've felt like a burden. Like, I felt like I was um, creating a harder life than needed to be there for for the ones I loved. So that, that's that's the only time I've really kind of sunk into any kind of sadness. Mm. Can you give us a moment where you felt that? Oh, you know, um, like when you first get out of uh, rehab and it's your first time living on your own uh, post-injury and, you know, you have to worry about falling and this and you have, you're learning how to control things that, you know, as a 30, you know, almost 30-year-old man, you didn't think you had to deal with, you know, like bladder and bowel issues and, you know, not being able to reach tall, tall shelves or, you know, drive yourself somewhere and, and it just looks like around you people are having to work harder because you're there like that's that's tough to take for me like it's one of the hardest lessons i've had to learn is uh allowing people to help me with stuff yeah man i bet especially somebody you know i'm starting to get a very clear picture of who you are on the inside and i i can imagine i mean things like you just said can't reach a higher shelf like these things we just take for granted i mean i I, I wouldn't even think about that, and that has to be so fucking frustrating, man. Oh yeah, it's um, it's the hardest part. I, I think honestly is is uh, you come into this world as a like after injury in a wheelchair as a newborn, like you have to relearn how to tie your shoes and get dressed or go to the bathroom or shower yourself or, or you know any of this stuff, and um, it's uh, it's it's really frustrating when when you see the people around you having to struggle because you're struggling. Or, or having people watch you struggle. Like that's 
was the absolute hard, hardest thing for me. It was like allowing people to help me with things or asking for help. I was not, I was not very good at that pre-entry. I, I you know, I, I'm very stubborn and, um, very Polish and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I would I would struggle with something, you know, typical typical guy stuff. Like I would I would literally walk around a, a grocery store for an hour looking for something rather than just ask someone for help. Mm. Tell us about the last time you were genuinely surprised. Uh, this is kind of a funny story. Um, so I'm a I'm a complete injury, which means my spine was completely severed. Uh, there's something called an incomplete injury where your spine wasn't 100 percent severed, but it doesn't really work that well. <laughs> Uh, incomplete injuries have spasms, so their legs will start to shake, or their their feet will move, or this, that, and the other. Completes generally don't have that, and so I've never I never had a spasm before. This is about two years into injury, and uh, I was sitting on my couch packing to go somewhere, and my legs started moving, and I just thought it was my dog like running into my leg, and then I look over, and my dog's laying on the ground, so I'm like, what the, what the hell is moving my leg? And I look down, and my my foot's just flexing and moving my leg. And I'm, and I have been told time and time again that I'm not supposed to have spasms. You're not going to have spasms, you know, all this stuff. And so now my legs is moving on its own and I'm freaking out and I'm, you know, I'm texting my mentors, um, you know, uh, Chris Stoutenberg and Gustavo Marquez. And I'm texting those guys and just like, Hey, like, this is really freaking me out. This isn't supposed to happen. Is this okay? Do I need to go see someone? And, um, the funny part is I get a text back. They're like, yeah, it's a spasm. Calm down. You idiot. <laughs> So why did that happen if it's not supposed to happen? Uh, they don't know. There's a few, you know, every injury is so unique with spinal cord injuries that they that they have general rules, but they don't really apply to anyone, you know. Um, I'm not supposed to have function of my lower abs or any of my hip flexors, but I obviously do with some of the stuff I can do. Right. Uh, I'm not supposed to have spasms, and I generally don't, but uh, my feet and uh, my castle spasm, so my feet will move. Right. Um, they they don't know, so it's just um, I'm an I'm a weird case. What word or action incites a feeling of disgust in you? Uh, selfishness, like that's that is my biggest pet peeve in all forms. Like people who, you know, uh, park in handicap spots who don't don't need it and know they're taking something from someone else who actually does need it, or um, you know just just not generally caring how you affect other people's lives really, really pisses me off. Yeah, I can imagine, man. Especially somebody like you who obviously puts other people first all the time. Section four. All right. What's your definition of the spirit? Um, my definition of of like our spirits of, of the spirit inside of us is kind of kind of like our soul our consciousness you know kind of our connection to god um you know uh i like to think of that it's, it's kind of what drives us what happens to us when our bodies die um that's an easy one man it's uh we get to go meet our creator meet god meet meet the man who's behind all this um you know heaven heaven for those of us who who choose to um who chooses to believe in it, I guess. Name one event in your life. Just one. <laughs> if you want <laughs> if you want to give me more, that's cool. But name one event in your life that you can most closely describe as a miracle. Uh, it's easy. Me being alive is um uh is, you know, pretty 
pretty big proof of a, of a higher power and of God to me, you know, uh, supposed to die. The doctor who did my surgery, second best, um, second best person in, in the United States that could get to do my surgery, just happened to be at the hospital, wasn't supposed to be there, ended up taking my case. Anyone else does, does the surgery, I'm probably dead. You know, a fracture an inch in any other direction, the barbell would have killed me instantly. Um, you know, I happened to be uh, best friends with a guy who um, grew up with the vice president's son of Craig, who can get me into Craig Hospital because they generally don't ca take cases from California. You know, my whole accident, um, my whole being alive is is one giant miracle. When do you feel most connected with creation? Fishing. <laughs> really? Tell me about yeah. that, man. Uh, you know, grew up with my dad, who's an avid fisher. His dad was an avid fisher. Like, fishing just kind of runs in the family. And uh, just kind of going out and, you know, wading through rivers and just standing there for hours and just relaxing and catching fish and, you know, enjoying enjoying the outdoors is, is kind of probably when I feel most connected to, uh, you know, to nature and the creation. So you're a stream fisherman? I mean, I grew up fisherman. in Missouri. We don't have much else besides streams. <laughs> right, right. What is the closest resemblance for you to absolute truth? Uh, I mean, I would say it's absolute truth. Like, God to me is absolute truth. And Kevin, this is a, I think this is probably going to be, be the, the, <laughs> the question that, um, you know, is, is going to be the clearest answer that I've gotten so far from all of these interviews. But uh, why do you feel you were put on this earth? Uh, I, I know I was put on this earth, and I think most people are put on this earth to help others, to kind of be part of the human race, um, just to connect with the other people around you to make their lives better. Like, that's, that's it. Like, help others do the right thing for the right people for the right reasons. Well, Kevin, that's our questionnaire, but God damn it, I feel like, uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I feel like I could just talk to you for hours, dude. Um, you know, at, at the risk of sounding cliche and, and just stupid, um, I mean, that question that I asked you about who would you describe as resilient, and I got to tell you, man, I think I have a new one. I'm, I'm talking to you. I didn't really know what to expect, you know. And, um, dude, you are just, uh, you are just a mental animal, dude, on, <laughs> on, on top of just being a, a, a physical force and, and just, um, just a stubborn Polak, man. That's all it is. I mean, I'm a Polak too, but I'm, I'm looking at you, Kevin, or listening to you and I'm, I'm looking at your, the photos that you post on your Instagram and, you know, your, your the goofy pics <laughs> that you put on there and just your attitude and and your and your inability to quit man is is pretty inspiring and and awesome and well, uh, well thank you but i you know I, I like most of my friends know like i'm just not smart enough to know when to stop so <laughs> that's i just bullshit, gotta, keep, yeah, <laughs> that's I keep going at it bullshit you're modest and and that's <laughs> that's another thing that makes you so easy to talk to is is your modesty but man thank you i you know i really honestly kevin i've been wanting to talk to you since the day that uh that that accident happened and um you know i'm glad that 
I've had the opportunity to live since then and to come up with these questions that I really wanted you to answer. So well, thanks for coming you asking, on. Man. I, yeah. really, I really appreciate you having me on. It's uh, I like doing these, these podcasts because, you know, like for, for hopefully someone listens to it and is going through something hard and can take something away from, from anything I'm doing or anything they hear, or, you know, take something away from Keanu Reeves, great guy. <laughs> did you see i mean did you see uh uh john wick oh i've seen john wick and john wick too they're amazing they're great little action films yes 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 um kevin you are an inspiration man and thank you thank you for thank you for so much for talking to me and um and thank you even more for being so candid with um with my questions and and answering them <laughs> as though you and I have known each other for a long time. I appreciate it. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm horrible, horrible at lying, so I might as well be honest about everything. Can you do me a favor, and can you mm-hmm. talk to me about Craig a little bit? Uh, Craig Hospital. It is a absolutely wonderful place. Um, I owe that facility um, so, so, so much. Uh, let me in, even though they didn't, they don't generally take cases from California. You know, I'm still really good friends with a lot of people who are like my nurses or doctors or PTs up there. Um, they are uh, the best facility, not only in um, their technique for like teaching people how to live with a spinal cord injury, but also in just their attitudes. Like everyone up there is happy to be there and happy to help and just a positive influence on, on, on people who are going through probably what's going to be the toughest time of their lives um, mentally. And uh, without people like that surrounding you through an injury like this, I, I don't know how anyone would survive. Like, I, I honestly don't think, um, I'd be where I was at today without Craig hospital. And, uh, you know, I try to give back to them as much as I can, but I'll probably never repay them for everything they did for me. Some people are out there listening to this who may be finding themselves in your situation or a similar situation. And some people may not even be close to the situation you're in but might want to get a little bit of inspiration from you so how can how can my audience connect with you kevin uh pretty easy um you know instagram twitter just kevin ogar i mean i'm on facebook you can find me there um i have like five different emails so you can probably find one of them um to email me but it's uh, either kevin at crossfitwatchtower.com or kevin at the org. Um, or just even stopping by CrossFit Watchtower to t- uh, CrossFit Watchtower just to chat. Like I'm, I'm generally always here. Like I got here at um, five thirty this morning, and I'll be here and probably until like seven o'clock tonight. Well, if I make it through your town, I'm definitely going to come out and hang out with you. If that's come on, okay, and come on by. Bring your son. We have comic books and 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 Legos and def- all that stuff. Definitely. And and honestly, the next time you're in the New York area, let me know because I wanna I wanna buy you a beer or something. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. You know, uh, you never turn down a beer that someone bought for you. <laughs> no, it's just manners. They're the best tasting beers. Absolutely. Um, do you have anything coming up that we should check out, Kevin? Any um, any events, anything that you're doing <clears throat> that, that we should support? Um, uh, this Saturday, actually, I'll be at uh, Pregnum CrossFit in Denver, uh, home of Phoenix Multisport, for their Atlas Blarney Stone uh, competition. It helps fund people who are dealing with uh, substance abuse. Um, uh, Scott, who's a good friend of mine who runs that nonprofit, uh, asked me to come down, so I'll be down there. Um, there is, uh, we, we hold a golf tournament every year in Missouri. Uh, I believe it's middle of June this year, but you can look it up. It's called the Ogar Strong Golf Tournament. And every year we pick a different 
family or person um, in need and raise money for that family to help cover medical bills or, or what have you. And this year is kind of um, a, a, a special one. Um, a fellow Craig graduate, um, cop who uh, unfortunately got paralyzed in the line of duty, um, went to Craig and now is back home. We're, we're going to put on the golf tournament um, in his name and, and, and raise funds for him. So if anyone is in the Missouri area uh, in the middle of August, I think second or third weekend, third weekend in August, um, or wants to support it in any way, um, just have, just contact me and I'll get you involved. For sure, man. Great. And before you go, Kevin, um, do you have any parting words for the audience? Can you plant a seed of inspiration for us oh, before man. we say goodbye? Seed of inspiration. I mean, uh, you, dude, you've already <laughs> done it. Look, I don't want to put you on the spot. You've already done it. But if if <clears> you <throat> could put your message on a bumper sticker and uh, for the world to see, what would it be? Do the right things for the right people for the right reasons, and you'll be happy. You know, um, I have a little note in my uh, in, in my, all my notebooks and in my phone that says, um, it's just, you know, few words. It just says him, them, us, me, God first, everyone else second, those, you know, and then yourself last. Kevin Ogar, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Uh, it's actually absolute pleasure on my, I mean, I really, really appreciate you having me on. Of course. Um, take care and we'll get together. We will have that beer and we will yeah. discuss comic books. Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> okay, my friend. Take care, buddy. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Kevin Ogar exhibits the traits of every hero. He puts the needs of others before his own. He sacrifices his comfort for the good of his message and is a symbol for what is possible in the face of adversity. He is steadfast in his positivity and unwavering in his ability to inspire. This is why I feel Kevin Ogar is an artist. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Fitness. If you did, please subscribe, write a review. Also, go to www.theartoffitnesspodcast.com, scroll down, and do all of your Amazon shopping through the Art of Fitness portal. It would really help support. Thanks a lot. Oh, shit.